State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Yangsma. In this week's episode, we are going to do things just a little bit differently. Instead of having a guest on, I am going to tackle a question that gets asked a lot. It is a topic that has very polarizing views and a lot of misinformation and misconceptions, and it is stretching. So let's start off with a very simple question. Why do we stretch? What is the purpose? What are we trying to get out of the stretching that we're doing? There are so many different types of stretching. And so what's really the purpose? If you ask anybody from an allied health professional to a fellow personal trainer, a client or a random person walking down the street, you'll probably get an answer that falls into one of four categories. The first one is a reduction in stiffness. So this is looking for a short-term change in the muscle, and this stiffness could be due to activity that has been done or a lack of activity, so more of a sedentary, inactive lifestyle. We could also be looking at increasing overall flexibility or restoring normal ranges of motion surrounding a joint. And this is more of a long-term change that we're looking for. So we're looking for adaptations in the tissues, in the nervous system in order to get more available range of motion more often. We could also be looking at reducing the risk of injury. So typically when we talk about this, we're looking at more dynamic type of stretching in order to increase the amount of heat and circulation in the tissues, awaken the nervous system, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth a little bit later. Or it could be to relieve pain, and this is often something that is prescribed when you perform some sort of rehabilitation, whether it be from a physio, a kinesiologist, a chiropractor, osteopath, they will prescribe some form of stretching. So there are different types of stretching for different outcomes. Before we go into each type, let's answer another question. How does stretching actually work? Like what is going on within the body, both neuromuscularly and physiologically? Well, in order to understand this, we have to understand the two prevailing models or theories of flexibility. 
The first one is known as the mechanical model of flexibility. And this really looks at the mechanical properties of the muscle and the soft tissue itself. And what it states is that improvements in range of motion and flexibility are either due to an increase in muscular length or a decrease in the stiffness of the muscle itself. This all stems off of the idea that muscles are naturally elastic, meaning that they can stretch and return back to their original length. Now, if we look both in the allied health professions, so chiropractors, physiotherapists, osteopaths, or we look in the fitness field as well with personal trainers, we typically measure this elasticity of the muscle by looking at the extensibility. And this is really just how far the muscle can elongate or be stretched towards a particular endpoint. So if we use an example of an active straight leg raise, we've got a client lying on the floor and they lift one limb as high as they can. Eventually, they're going to get to a point where they're going to feel some strain into the back of the leg. It could be into the calf, it could be the back of the knee, or it could be a little bit higher into the back of the thigh itself. Now, when we reach this point, we're looking at measuring what the angle is at the joint we're trying to test. So in this scenario, we're looking at hip flexion. And so somebody with a range of motion of 80 to 90 degrees, so the leg is either straight up and down or almost there, that's pretty good range of motion or flexibility in that hip. Now, if they can only achieve maybe 50 to 60 degrees, they're probably below average in the flexibility of that hip into hip flexion. So with stretching, how do changes in flexibility occur according to this mechanical model? And what we see when we look in the literature and when we look in most medical textbooks is that there are three basic ideas. The first idea is that there is a change in the viscoelastic deformation of the tissue. And this is a really sciencey way of saying that the muscle has a viscous or a more of a fluid-like component as well as an elastic component as well. And so when a force is applied through a stretch into the muscle, what we see is that the muscle is then forced to relax and therefore flexibility improves. Unfortunately, research has shown that this effect is very, very short-lived. It doesn't last all that long. The second idea is that there is a change in the number of sarcomeres in series. So if you remember back to your muscular anatomy, you know that muscle is formed in length by a whole bunch of fibers that have these sarcomeres that sit in series. And these are the contractile components of a muscle. You might have thousands of sarcomeres along the length of a particular muscle fiber. With increased amounts of stretching, so holding a lengthened position for an extended period of time, your body begins to add more sarcomeres in series to a muscle to help it elongate. Unfortunately, typically what happens is the actual length of each sarcomere decreases when more sarcomeres are added. The actual length of the tissue doesn't change all that much. It tries to maintain that resting length. The other thing that you see as well is that the change in the number of sarcomeres doesn't last very long. The last idea is that there are plastic changes that take place within the connective tissue. 
The idea being that when the connective tissues are stretched, they're stretched to a point where they will not return back to their original shape. Much in the same way, if you grab a plastic bag and you slowly press your fist into that plastic bag, when you pull your hand away, you now have an outline of your fist in that bag. That is the same type of idea. When we slowly stretch it, you will have this change, this deformation in the connective tissues. Now, this happens over extended periods of time, and unfortunately, there isn't a lot of longitudinal studies that have looked at this. The more likely model before this mechanical model of flexibility is one that has been adopted by most experts in the industry, and it is the sensory model of flexibility. And so what this looks at is more of the neural control of flexibility itself, the sensation. And so short-term increases in flexibility are actually the result of increased stretch tolerance, not the length of the muscle itself. So we have to understand that at resting length, your nervous system, and more accurately, neural drive, controls the resting length of your muscles. Posture is maintained through this same mechanism. And so what we see with stretching is that you can change the stretch tolerance of a particular muscle to allow you more range of motion without then having to stretch again. So an example of this is if we go back to the active straight leg raise example, if you were to do that stretch once and return back to your beginning position, and then do the stretch again, generally speaking, what you will see is an increase in range of motion the second time. And this is just very simply, and I'm going to act as if I am the muscle and I'm talking, is the muscle basically thinks to itself, well, hey, um, I didn't get injured. I felt pretty safe and stable. So I guess I can give them a bit more range of motion the next time. So then the next time you go up, you'll hit that stretch reflex again, it will initiate, and you will find that you have increased range of motion at that hip. Now, there's obviously a, a point where you won't keep increasing your range of motion anymore, but that is the idea. And this is also the difference between short-term stretching and long-term stretching and the effects of each. So within the research, we see up to about an hour to an hour and a half of improved flexibility. So understanding that most research has shown a short-term improvement in your flexibility following a stretching routine. Based on the research up to this point, we can see that the biggest factors dictating the length of improvement was the length of time stretching and the time that each stretch was held. So the total amount of time that you're stretching for and the amount of time a specific stretch is held. So the difference between you know, holding a stretch for 15 seconds versus doing something more like a yoga type stretching where you're holding a position for maybe two to three minutes. So think of it this way, short stretch, short improvement window, long stretch, longer duration of improvement, right? So that's what you'll typically see within the research. Now, as I mentioned, when it comes to the stretching effect over time, unfortunately, most research studies only look at about three to eight weeks of stretching. So that is the protocol that they typically use. So that there are not a lot of studies that look at the long-term effects of stretching. 
But there is anecdotal evidence by way of maybe some yoga type stretching where you see repetitive stretching over time leads to increased ranges of motion in particular positions. Let's now look at how some of those concepts apply to the different types of stretching we can utilize within a training session for ourselves or for our clients. And through this, hopefully you will better understand how to apply and how to prescribe the right type of stretching for a particular client situation and outcome. And we're gonna look at three types. We're gonna look at short duration static stretching, long duration static stretching, and dynamic stretching as well. So for short duration static stretching, this is what most people, most clients will be familiar with. This is the, you know, you hold a position or you hold a stretch for 10 to 30 seconds and you feel a release, you feel a decrease in tension in the tissue, in the joint that you are stretching. And what we're doing here is we're really trying to get around or increase the stretch tolerance of a muscle on a very, very short-term basis. So this is a very, this is a transient effect. This is something that is very short-lived. This isn't something that is going to increase our range of motion over time to a significant amount. So this is something that you would do or prescribe for your client if they feel stiff in the morning, if they're sedentary throughout the day, they might do some of this just to get a little bit more movement. Maybe they do this if they're sitting in a chair all day, you get them to do a quick stretch before maybe walking up and down the stairs just to get a bit more movement and really try to increase the efficiency of the movement they're about to perform. Now, if you're looking for more of a long-term change, as we discussed previous, you require a bit more of a long-term static stretch. So if we're looking for an increase in flexibility over time, we need to start looking at not only increasing stretch tolerance, but also looking at trying to achieve a increase in the plastic changes in the connective tissues themselves. So long duration static stretching may still use the same positions, the same stretches as short duration static stretching, but now I am holding a specific position for two minutes or more. And this is very, very common in something like yoga, which is why individuals who have taken part in yoga regularly, and we're talking three, four, five times a week for an extended period of time, see significant increases in range of motion. Now, the thing to remember is if they stop for a uh, short period of time, whether it be a week, two weeks, or they perform some other activity that causes a decrease in range of motion, such as uh, resistance training and feeling that stiffness, they will also feel a decrease in range of motion as a result of that. So while the change does occur, the change is not permanent. Your body is always going to try to get back to the most efficient state possible. So it will grant you range of motion with this long duration static stretching if you do it regularly enough and it thinks to itself, hey, I need to increase this person's range of motion by increasing stretch tolerance and getting some plastic change into that connective tissue. But once you stop using it, your body very quickly reverts back to its baseline and tries to make itself more efficient again.
That's what we're trying to do. So it's a cumulative effect over time. So there are these small little changes. It's not like you start doing it and all of a sudden you gain a whole bunch of range of motion. It's small little changes over time that add up to make a big difference in the total range of motion. The last type of stretching that we're going to discuss is dynamic stretching. And dynamic stretching is typically what is prescribed before you go and do any form of sport or athletic event. And it's moving a joint through a range of motion, using your own musculature to move you, and then you might just pull ever so slightly a little bit further to end range, and then you will cycle out of it. So you actually don't hold a specific position for an extended period of time. Now, there's a few effects going on here. The first is because you're utilizing your own nervous system, you awaken the nervous system and you teach it how to control different ranges of motion, which is very important specifically right before you perform a sport or athletic event that is going to require you to have increases in range of motion or perhaps put you in positions where you need that control. Dynamic stretching and movement in general exhibit this fixotropic effect. And this is the ability of a tissue like muscle to become more pliable or liquid after motion and return back to its resting state. So movement decreases stiffness. It increases the heat and the circulation into the tissues in the area and allows for more flexibility. So it's not a permanent change, but it is a quick change in order to get more pliability in the tissues. More pliability and more activation means a decrease in risk for injury. So those are the three primary types of stretching, and we'll discuss them a little bit more um, as they relate to some specific research. And hopefully that will help you apply the specific type of stretching to a particular outcome or client that you are working with. So I just want to provide a word of caution before we continue on here surrounding stretching. Whether you are a medical professional, a fitness professional, or a fitness enthusiast, we have to understand our desire for instant gratification. In this society, we're always looking for a quick fix. We're looking for the next best thing. And we hop on and we gravitate towards things that are flashy and that promise these great results really quickly. So when it comes to stretching, when it comes to mobility, we have to understand that the body never does anything without having a reason for it. If you are tight in an area, if a muscle has become tight, a joint has become stiff, there's a reason your body has done that. It could be due to weakness. The muscle, the tissue is saying, hey, there's weakness here. This needs to be improved and I'm tightening in order to compensate for the strength maybe on the other side of the joint. It could be that it's looking at, you know, I've got a injury here that I'm trying to protect, whether it be within the joint or within the muscle, within the tendon, and your body then tightens that up in order to protect itself. It could be because of a lack of stability in and around that joint, and so the body takes away range of motion in order to protect or add a false sense of stability into that joint. If we really understand the why behind tightness, will better be able to adapt our approach 
in a systematic way in order to improve the outcome that we're looking for without having any negative adaptations or adverse results from that. So we really need to look at what, what are we doing in the short term to lead to long-term success when it comes to whether it be increasing range of motion or flexibility around a joint or decreasing the amount of stiffness that we have on a day-to-day basis. Is what I'm doing getting a short-term result but sacrificing the long-term or am I getting more of a long-term result just at a slower pace? So let's switch gears now and discuss static stretching before sport and high-performance activities. There's been a lot of research on this topic. You may have read some of it, you may not have, but I want to maybe give a little bit of a different perspective and not necessarily give you a, this is set in stone, you can do this, you should do this, but more of a devil's advocate and getting more of a conversation going and having you think a little bit more critically about this. If you look at the research, and there's been a lot of research, as I mentioned, on this topic, what you will see is that the research surrounding stretching before exercise is very questionable because the studies themselves were not very well done. If you go back and read the original studies, you'll see that as an example, in one study, a person did a vertical jump followed by eight minutes of static stretching and then did another vertical jump. The conclusion based off of their second vertical jump going down was that stretching decreased power. A logical conclusion to draw from what they got from that study. But the first issue that I want to point out is that that's not what you should be doing. That's not real life. When we are looking at research, we really have to understand, and it's important to really think through and apply the science, understanding the controlled study environment versus real life, versus what you're actually going to be doing. So that's the first point that I want to make is that you have to take both of those components into consideration when looking at research. You can't just read a conclusion that has been drawn and instantly think that that is how that research should be applied. The second point that I want to make is that research always speaks to statistical significance. And what this is, is that it's the likelihood that a relationship between two or more variables is caused by something other than chance. So in this case, the variables are static stretching and vertical jump height or power. So when we look at the research study, you see an individual's vertical jump height go from 22 inches in the first jump to 20.9 inches in the second jump. That change is seen as being statistically significant. And so that's basically saying that, yes, the stretching caused the decrease in power. But you also have to look at, is that actually, when we apply it to real life, is it practically significant? So is it something that we're going to look at and be like, yeah, that stretching definitely isn't worth it. When I look at the risk benefit or the pros and cons of static stretching versus that power output, is that something that is going to say, no, that negative is way too much for me. I'm definitely not going to do that. That's 1.1 inches in a vertical jump. That's only a 5% change. Statistically significant, but practically insignificant. So with that said, you probably won't want to static stretch before doing a powerlifting competition or Olympic lifting competition because that could be the difference between first place, second place, and third place. Those margins are that small. So you have to be able to look at the research itself to understand that. 
Now, more recent research has looked at the effect of a dynamic warm-up or dynamic stretching, some activation exercises on previous static stretching. And it's actually been shown to wipe away the decreases found in static stretching. This is kind of a counter-argument that if you perform maybe some static stretching and then perform your dynamic warm-up, if it takes away all the negative effects of static stretching, but still gives you the long-term change in the length of the tissue over time, perhaps that is actually the better way to go about it. So what's my point? Static stretching can be done before training. Just perform various movement prep and activation exercises after to ensure that you can control whatever new range that you have been given and that you awaken the nervous system as well. So when you speak to clients about this who may be thinking the same way that you are about decreases in power and strength, we need to remind them that the static stretching that is done before a session has nothing to do with the workout you are about to do. It is not about that workout. It's not about being better in that workout. It has everything to do with the workout that is three months, six months, a year down the road. So if you perform a stretching protocol, you know, whether it be before or after, whatever you've chosen to do, and you don't see a result, it's typically because there is something bigger at play. There is another reason why your body is protecting a particular area, particular joint or tissue, and you simply stretching isn't going to get you the result that you're looking for. You may be doing more harm than good, and this will require a thorough assessment by an allied health professional, either for yourself or for your client. So make sure that you seek that out to ensure that there's no underlying issues that need to be addressed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. I really hope you're able to pull out some practical information that you can apply to either your own training or that of your client's. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast. Give us a rating on iTunes. Continue to hit me up on Facebook or Instagram DM and let me know if you have any guests you'd like to hear or topics you would like me to cover. Once again, thank you for listening wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay fit and I'll talk to you next week. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.